You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our friends at MyBookie. And guys, time is running out. But you still have a couple of days through the rest of this week, at least through the month of September. MyBookie is still running an exclusive promotion for you guys, for listeners of this podcast. All you have to do is create a new account on MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, and when you do so, use the promo code UGA. And guys, they're going to double whatever your first deposit is. You can't beat that promo, so bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. And as you guys know, I am your host Tyler and back with me today here in studio, if that's what you want to call my home office. Charlie, can we call this a studio? Does this suffice? Sure. Why not? Let's go with it. So in studio is my co-host Charlie and we've got another batch of listener questions to answer on this week five mailbag edition of the podcast. And after an ugly win and yet another uninspiring performance, People uh, are, as you might imagine, fired up this week and did not hold back in the questions that were sent into us. Censors were optional on a lot of the questions that we got, so Charlie had to do some censoring herself to keep this somewhat of a family podcast, but it's all good. I mean, this is the core of what makes college football, in my opinion at least, the greatest entity in the history of the world, that unmatched passion. So you guys brought the heat today, so we love it. And Charlie, uh, we're going to go ahead and just jump right in because I know we have a lot of questions to get to. So where are we starting things today? All right. Well, you weren't lying when you said censoring was optional this week. Yeah, there were there were quite a few questions. It was like, oh, we can't put that on the airwaves. So case in point, our first question comes from Captain Jack Sparrow. His only question is WTAF. And uh, we're not going to spell that out for everyone, but I think most of you out there can, uh, if you aren't familiar with that, you could probably figure it out. But uh, yeah, I I get where you're coming from, Captain Jack Sparrow. So we got a celebrity guest today, Charlie. Captain Jack Sparrow. Yeah, I mean, WTF, WTAF, that is is correct. That was certainly going through my mind. That and the other choice words are going through my mind sitting there in Sanford Stadium watching that game on Saturday. The frustration was um, was palpable throughout the entire stadium, and certainly my head was throbbing with frustration all game long. It was a tough watch, but I mean, look, we were able to pull it out, 17 point victory. And again, we'll talk about this a little bit later on with some of the other questions. The final score was not really indicative of how we really dominated that game. There were some mistakes here and there that took some points off the board for us, put some points on the board. For Kent State that otherwise should not have been put on that board. But look, this is a team that was never, as I said on the recap episode, this is a team that was never actually threatening to beat us in this game. Yes, I know the score was 12 to 10 at one point for like three minutes. But even when the score was that close, I was never freaking out saying, oh my God, we're going to lose. That wasn't my concern in this game. My concern was, oh my God, we've got to get better. We can't look like this. We can't keep having games like this happen. I know it's a lesser opponent. I understand that. We can't have games like this happen as we continue through the season, because there are teams along the way that if we play like this, if we have one of these kind of games, like the, as you said, the WTAF games, they are capable of beating us. So there was certainly some frustration there. And uh, yeah, WTAF. All right. Well, sticking with that theme, Ben seems to have concerns about our performance against Kent State 
And he asked, was that game against Kent State an outlier or the beginning of an unfi- of unfixable issues? I think right now it has to be the outlier, but it's not. I mean, here's the thing. I, I want to say outlier, but Charlie, I know that you were dead that weekend and you were curled up in a ball on your bathroom floor, but the game against Sanford was not an inspiring performance either. Yes, we won that game handedly, 33-0. Once again, we were never in doubt. That game was never in doubt. Like, they never threatened us for a second. They couldn't honestly do anything. It was a miracle that no one on their team got seriously injured. But we certainly did not play up to our standard in that game. So we have four games so far. And in half of those games, 50% of them, we have played exceptionally well, as good as any team in the country against Oregon and South Carolina, which happened to be the, the I, I guess you would say, the better opponents that we face at this point because they're Power 5 opponents, at least more high-profile opponents. But then the other 50% of the games, we have played very sloppily, very uninspired football, made some mistakes, and just not executed to the standard that Kirby always talks about and sets for this team. So I want to say outlier, but it's not an outlier in the truest sense. But here's what I will say. I don't think the team that you saw on Saturday is the real Georgia Bulldogs. I think we are closer to what you saw against Oregon and South Carolina. Now, as we often say on the show, Charlie, you're never as good as you look on your best day, never as bad as you look on your, on your worst day. The answer is usually somewhere in the middle there. But I think we are far closer to the team that dominated both South Carolina and Oregon in weeks one and three than we are to the team that we saw against Kent State. I, I truly do believe that. And just to give you guys a few numbers here, I know if you listen to the recap episode, you've already heard me put these numbers out there. But just in case you missed that and you did not, even if you did hear it, let's just reiterate this. We outgained this team by 248 yards. We outgained them by seven more yards than we outgained South Carolina. No one was freaking out about the South Carolina game, right? We outgained South Carolina by 241 yards. We outgained Kent State by 248 yards. The only difference was we made more mistakes in this game that hurt us in terms of turning the ball over. We had not turned the ball over at all, guys, coming into this game. We turned the ball over three times in this game, and that makes the score, the final score, seem closer than the game actually was. And that's why I say it wasn't really all that indicative of how we actually played. I mean, we beat Oregon week one by nearly seven touchdowns, 49 to three. And we outgained Oregon in that game by 258 yards, only 10 more yards than we outgained Kent State on Saturday. We actually had almost the exact same number of first downs as we did against South Carolina. As I told you guys in the recap episode, we held Kent State, who is a really good offense. I still will stand by it. When we played them, the best offense that we have played to this point, factoring that the Oregon offense in week one was not how the Oregon offense is playing right now. And we held that Kent State offense their lowest yardage output of the season. We put up more yards on Kent State than any team has this season. They were one of the best rushing offenses in the country the last year or two. And we held them to under 100 yards rushing. And we did that without Jalen Carter, our best defensive player. We held them to 3 of her 11 on third downs, 27%. We dominated this game in every way you can dominate the game outside of the scoreboard. And at the end of the day, it was still a 17-point victory. But it just simply comes down to turn the ball over, which is something that we had not done to this point. So that's why I would lean more outlier. We did some things in this game that we just simply have not done to this point in the season that hurt us and kept Kent State more in this game than some of the other teams that we have played and kept the final score closer than the other contests so far this season. We're turning the ball over. We're making mistakes in terms of leverage on the the, uh, perimeter there, trying to defend the screen game. Things that we had not done. Ladd McConkie has been a rock for us ever since really the beginning of last season, we started like really work his way into the lineup. He had the worst game of his career. That was an anomalous performance by Lad McConkie. That's not who Lad McConkie is. That's who he was on Saturday, but that's not who Lad is week in and week out. And Lad is not going to play like that the rest of the way throughout the season. I, I feel very confident in saying that. So yes, for all those reasons, I would certainly lean more towards this being an anomalous outlier performance with the caveat that this is the second time that we haven't looked great against a lesser opponent but in terms of the final score and some of the things that we did to keep that score closer than it should have been, I would certainly lean towards this being an outlier. Okay, our next question comes from Lance. He said, in half of our games, we've looked like garbage. True. We have to fix that before the schedule gets any more difficult. Right. Do you see any adjustments that could help correct some of the issues that we're seeing at times? Yeah, there's some things that we that Curtis and I have touched on for a couple of weeks now that I'll, I'll just kind of reiterate here. Number one, and a lot of you guys are on this, the most popular question that we've gotten really for probably two or three weeks now. Last year was always Stetson. He was the most popular question. We did not, I'm mean, sorry, do we have a mailbag all last season that did not have a very pointed Stetson Bennett question? No. I don't think that we did. Like, he was like the lead question, something about him almost every single week. So he was the popular topic of conversation last year. Right now, there's two things. It's the sack numbers, which we, we, we put up some more pressure on the quarterback in this game, so that we didn't get a lot of questions about that. But the other question would be the running back position. And 
in particular, Kendall Milton. So one of the things I would say to kind of answer a lot of those questions is I do believe that we need to give number 30, Dejon Edwards, a lot more carries than this guy's getting right now. I think he needs 10 to 15 carries a game. I think he is the best pure running back that we have in our top three right now in terms of running ball between the tackles. And I know you look at that and you say, well, how? He shouldn't be, right? He's smaller. He doesn't have the physical profile of some of these guys. But all this guy does, and I said this on the recap episode, and I'll stand by this. I'll keep saying this over and over again until he shows me something different. All this man does every time he gets a chance is produce. And at the end of the day, Charlie, is it not about production? That's what we're going for here. So if this man produces for us at a high rate, 6.1 yards per carry in this last game against Kent State, every time he gets opportunities, why in the world are we not giving him more opportunities? Is it because he wasn't as highly recruited? He doesn't have the physical profile? He doesn't measure and test as well as as Kenny McIntosh or Kendall Milton? Because if those are the reasons, that's not acceptable for me. I'm not buying that. I don't care how he tests. I care what he does on the field. And right now, when he's given opportunities, he is producing. I know in the past couple years, you could say, well, that's garbage time. Like That's a different story. You can't really count that. Okay, fine. This year, it's not garbage time. This guy is playing legitimate downs. This is a dude, when we had to grind out the win late in the game and put this on ice, we had Dejan Edwards out there getting carries. And what was he doing? He was doing what he does. He produces. So Dejan Edwards needs to get a lot more looks and a lot more carries coming out of the backfield. Uh, I'd also, I mentioned this on the recap, recap episode, but I'll, I'll go into a little more detail here. Darnell Washington needs to get, well, honestly, I think Darnell needs to get more looks in general. I know that's tough when we have so many guys that we are trying to distribute the ball to. And you got this guy named Brock Bowers, ever heard of him, who is probably the best tight end in the country. And you're obviously going to try to scheme a lot of things for him to get the football. But Darnell is a weapon in his own right, a different kind of weapon. But there are a lot of very easy things that we can do to just give him the football. You can literally have the guy run a 10-yard curl route just to give him the football and have him just wreck people and rack up those yak yards after the catch. In the red zone, there's no one that can match Darnell's size. There's not one single defender out there, whether it's a safety, a cornerback, star, linebacker. There is no defender on our schedule that can match up with that size if we can scheme a way to get him one-on-one in the red zone. And Todd Munkin happens to be a master at scheming those matchups up and putting our guys in advantageous, favorable matchups. So I believe that we need to use Darnell more in that role than we have to this point in his career. Another personnel adjustment that I would look long and hard at making is giving Devin Willick, who has played some, he's been in the rotation. We basically been rotating seven guys on the offensive line. We have our five stars, you have Willick, and then you have Marius Mims as well. I would give Willick more of a look at guard, a longer look. He's played some, I understand that. I think he's played fairly well. The reality is right now, at the interior offensive line positions, oh, center we're fine. Cedric Van Pran has been really good for us. But the guard positions in particular have not performed to the level they need to be performing at. And Tate Ratledge, I, I have strong suspicions that he's it's it's the injuries lingering from last year, whether it's the Liz Frank injury, whether it was the turf toe injury that he dealt with. And even honestly, even if they're not bothering him right now, the time he missed, especially in fall camp, not being able to work himself into that game playing shape after, after essentially not playing for an entire year, I think you're starting to see some of that right now. I just don't think the guy is moving very well. He's big, he's strong, he's physical, he's nasty. He has a lot of the traits I love in interior offensive linemen. But right now, Tate Ratledge is simply not moving well enough for us. And that's something that that does concern me. I hope maybe as the season continues on that he and he continues to improve in that regard and he gets more in shape and, and his, he gets his footwork back. That'd be great. I'm hoping for that. But right now, I have questions about what he's doing from a, from a mobility standpoint on the offensive line. And trust is trust is up and down. Trust has some good moments. Trust has some moments where it's like, what are you doing? Where he plays a little too high. He's a tall guy. He plays a little too high at times. Does he allows some of the defenders to get under him a little bit? A guy his size, you like to see him get more consistent movement. I like to see him move up to the second level a little bit better. So let's see what Devin Willett can do. Give this guy some more time. I'm not saying that he needs to start right now, but I'm saying he needs to be given more opportunities to see if he is one of our two best options at the guard position. Okay, our next question is really trying to put a happy face on the performance against Kent State. I actually had two similar questions, so we're going to package them together. Scott asked, could you make the case that a game like this was actually a good thing for Georgia? And Garrett would like to know, were you happy to see this team face some adversity? What can we learn from the last game? Charlie, let me ask you this. If I say yes, that it was a good thing, does that make me a homer who's just looking at things through my red and black colored lenses? I don't think so. Struggles always make people improve. 
Well, I mean, technically, that's, yeah. I mean, if you come out the other side and you take lessons from it, absolutely. So I am going to, I'm going to be the homer. It's fine. Call me the homer if you want. I'm going to make the case, call this a spin zone if you want, but I'm trying to be objective here. I will make the case. I agree with you, Scott. I think that coming out of this game with still a comfortable win, they did push us more than any of us wanted to be pushed. And I was certainly frustrated, like a lot of you, either in the stands or at home watching the game. I'm sure a lot of you were. We're saying some choice words and at least had them flowing through your mind at the very least, maybe throwing some things here and there. I did not throw anything at the game, Charlie. I wanted to throw my hat a couple times, but I did not. I can just sit there and was uh, rocking back and forth doing the old Leo Mazzoni. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was a frustrating afternoon to say the least. But when you can come out of a frustrating afternoon, afternoon like that and still beat a team by 17 points and have a lot of the issues that you need to work on highlighted for your team, I think at the end of the day, if you handle it correctly and you take it the right way, it can be advantageous for your team. And for a number of reasons. Number one, it can, like, you know, Curtis mentioned this in the recap episode, rat poison's a real thing. The old Nick Saban rat poison, right? The idea that you're getting sold a bill of goods, everyone's talking great about you, and you're kind of feeling yourself, and you're um, letting that go to your head, all those kind of things. That can bring a game like this can bring you back down to earth and say, hey man, like you're not as good as everyone's saying you are. You need to go to work. You need to continue to grind and work and improve throughout the rest of the season. So from that respect, I think it's a good thing. But more than anything, here's why I think it was really actually a good thing for us. This team is going to face some adversity. I know that we got a question a couple of weeks ago, and it's a fair question based on how we were beating teams at the time. Was, was there going to be a, any single game in the regular season that we won by less than three touchdowns? And maybe it was a little tongue-in-cheek. I get that. But my answer was like, yeah, of course there is. Like, historically, every great team, no matter how great these teams are, even the 2019 LSU team, I think is probably the best team that I've seen, at least in recent memory, they had a couple one-score games. Those games are coming, guys, no matter how good you are. Those games are coming. And you don't want to be the first time you face adversity to be in a game against a team that actually has the players that are equipped to beat you if you do not respond to that adversity the right way. So being able to face some adversity against a team like Kent State, who is a quality team. I try to tell you guys that coming into the week and people just want to say, I'm doing my whole Larry Munson thing and trying to play up everybody as like this some world-beating team. Like, no, Kent State's actually a good group of five team. They were in the MAC championship game last year. They have one of the most prolific offenses in the entire country. They're very, very good at what they do. Defensively, they were terrible, as you saw on Saturday when we were able to move the ball at will between the 20s. Kind of stalled out some t- a couple times, a couple points in the red zone, but that, that was a good Kent State team. So to have a team like that, who's good, but is still not really good enough to beat you and take advantage of a, of a day where you don't bring your A game, and you still come out on top and you still win that game by 17 points, and everyone can kind of breathe a sigh of relief at the end of the game. If you handle it the right way and you take it the right way and you use it as a learning opportunity, which I know that our coaches are going to, and if our players embrace it like that, the leaders encourage our team to actually embrace that learning opportunity, then I think it can be a very good thing. So you know and you have that confidence that when adversity hits, we have been able to work through it and we will be able to work through it in the future. Because again, guys, when we get in that SEC play, I don't know when and where it's coming, but it's going to happen. It's coming at some point because that's what history tells us. And if anything, I love me some history. Okay, well, this next question is an interesting one. Trey asks, do you buy into the idea that Kirby hamstrung his team with rotation, play calling, game planning, etc. against an inferior opponent to make a point? Charlie, I don't know if you saw some of my interactions on Twitter regarding this question. And I respect everyone's opinion. And if you believe that Kirby did intentionally hamstring the team and try to intentionally engineer a situation where we were being pushed by an opponent and we're not going to be able to win as significantly or as dominantly and easily as we had in some of these other games if you believe that more power to you man. i'm not here to tell you what you can believe and what you and what you can't believe like do your thing that's fine i'm not i'm not telling you that you're crazy i'm not saying that i'm right here i'm just giving you my opinion i'm asked for my opinion and that's what i'm giving you here i just have a hard time believing that in fact i just simply cannot bring myself to believe it i understand trey where this question's coming from because kirby like if you watch the post-game press conference he was like borderline giddy after the game like yeah, like this was good for us. And I think he actually, what was the quote? We, we needed this. And while, while all of us are sitting here like, you know, gnashing our teeth and we're all just screaming bloody murder over this game, a lot of hand wringing going on, on, on after that game. Kirby Smart's sitting there saying, hell yeah, man, like this is exactly what I want. This is exactly what I needed. So I get where you're coming from, 
My contention, where I disagree, is I do not think that Kirby Smart intentionally engineered a game plan that was going to purposefully keep the game closer than it should should have been. I do not see any way on earth, I don't think there's any universe where Kirby Smart is going to try to make it less likely that our team won a game. I just do not see that because that goes against everything this man stands for, everything that he professes to stand for when he gets up there in these press conferences, every message that he sends to his team about playing to a standard. How can you look at your team in the face and say, hey guys, we got to play to a standard each and every week. We got to give our, our best to each and every opponent, no matter who it is. You don't care about the opponent. You play to a standard. How can you say that with a straight face and then say behind the closed doors, oh, you know what? Like we're just better than this team. So I'm going to, I'm going to do a lot of different things to try to make this game closer than it should be to kind of engineer some adversity for our team so that we can fight through it. I, I fully agree with the, with the idea that he was happy that we had to face some adversity and we came through it. I think he relishes that. I agree with that. Where I disagree is I do not think that Kirby Smart intentionally, purposefully engineered that. I just do not think that's in his DNA. I know a lot of us are fond of saying that Kirby Smart's playing 4D chess out there. And at times I think that that can be true, but to intentionally engineer a situation like what we saw on Saturday against Kent State, that's not 40 chess. That's like 98 degree chess. Like that's insane. Like that's not something Kirby Smart is in the business of doing. He's just not. Now it doesn't mean he's not happy with the end result that we had to face some adversity and we fought our way through that. He can still be happy with the end result without having to actually put forth a concerted effort to make that result happen, if that makes sense. All right, Charlie, I know we've got a Quite a few more questions to get to, but before we move on a little bit, let's talk about my bookie. Now, Charlie, I do not want to uh, bring up the um, the picks from last week yet. We'll we'll get to all of that. I hate to bring this up because I know that's a sore subject for you. Let's not talk about that. Yet. I actually, I mean, I did not have a good week. I didn't have as bad of a week as I thought I had. Like as the week was happening, as Saturday was unfolding, and there were a couple games, Charlie. Like I'm just gonna be honest with you, that Missouri Auburn game that killed. Like. I felt I, I hurt for you because that was your upset special of the week. And last year, you famously picked Mississippi State to go all on the road to beat uh, to beat Auburn. And I took your advice in that game and, hey, won a lot of money on that. So thank you for that. And I actually took your advice this week again. And um, it didn't work out as well, but it almost, it should have. Like, in just one of the worst beats of all time. Like, truly a terrible beat. But you know what, guys? That was our first maybe not winning week for you guys. We're still hitting about 60% of our, of our picks for you guys. And look, not, not the best week last week, but we are bouncing back in a big way this week. We got a lot of winners left to give you throughout the rest of the season. The season is long. There's a lot of time left to make some money. And the best place to do that is mybookie.ag. They got the best deposit options, got the easiest payouts for you guys, the best lines, best betting options. And to make it even better, they're still offering you through the month of September, so a couple more days here, a 100% sign-up bonus on your first deposit. If you're a new customer, all you have to do is go to mybookie.ag, sign up for a new account, and use the promo code UGA, and they will hook you up. And guys, pause this podcast right now and go do this before this deal is up. You don't want to miss out while you have that opportunity because you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, well, we haven't seen a lot of A.D. Mitchell this year after he went out of the Sanford game after the very first play of the game. 
all college football or all CFB asks, how would you evaluate our wide receiver room right now without A.D. Mitchell in the lineup? It's not nearly as good, Charlie. I think that's fair to say. I don't want to say it's average. I, I Somebody I was talking to Sunday said that, man, like, without A.D., like we're just really average at receiver. I don't think that we're average. I think that we're at least slightly above average, but we're certainly not dynamic at wide receiver, absent A.D. Mitchell, also absent a guy like Arian Smith, who at this point is the great Sasquatch. Like, does he exist? We don't know. We'll find out, hopefully. Uh, but Lab McConkie's still a good player. I know he did not have a vintage Lab McConkie game for us, but he's still a dynamic receiver, and he's going to be a big part of our success moving forward. I mean, again, that was an anomalous performance by him. But when A.D. Mitchell is not in the game, one thing that it does hurt us with is the vertical shots on the field. And I'm not saying that AD is this massive burner like Arian Smith. Is that, I mean, he's fast. He's plenty fast enough. But that's not really his game. Lad's faster than AD, in my opinion. But he has the the ball skills, the length, the size, the ball skills to go up and win some of those 50-50 balls. And Lad has fantastic ball skills, too. I know we get a lot of questions, well, at least we have the past couple weeks, like, why are we throwing fades to Lad in the red zone. And I get where you're coming from. He's a smaller guy, but he has really good ball skills. It's just the length kind of hurts him there, especially depending on the matchup that he's that he's got there uh, with a defender in the end zone. But AD doesn't have those issues. I mean, he's a guy that can go up. You saw the national championship game, can go up and win those tough contested balls. And we need a guy like that. And without him, that does take a little bit of something away from our offense. So without, without AD, I mean, AD is our best receiver. I mean, Ladd is right there. Ladd's a really, really good player. But I, I would still say AD is the best pure receiver on our team. And without him, I mean, certainly our receiving core takes a hit. I don't think we're average like my buddy was t- trying to convince me we were on Sunday. But we're not great either. We're good. We're pretty good without AD. With, with AD, I think we have a good receiving core, especially once we get Arian Smith back healthy if, again, he actually does exist. But uh, without Lad or without AD, it's certainly not um, a dynamic unit right now. Okay, well, let's stay with the passing game theme here, especially in the absence of AD Mitchell. James wants to know, are you worried about our ability to beat teams over the top in the passing game? We haven't seen a ton of it to this point, but part of that is, Charlie, we haven't really had to do that. I know... You want to see that because you guys want to know that we can do it. It's nice to know that, hey, if we need to do it at some point, we can. And we saw it all last year. That's why I'm really not all that concerned about it. I mean, we didn't have George Pickens all last year, guys. I mean, Jermaine Burton was was on the team, but, I mean, he was in and out of the roster last year. Like, with largely the same players that we have on the team right now, we were able to be explosive on offense, even in the passing game, and hit balls down the field. We have a lot of those guys back. Lad's back for another year. AD's back for another year. Both those guys are better once we get AD healthy. Hopefully, we can get Arian Smith out there very soon. And in fact, I think we will sooner rather than later if what I'm being told is is actually correct behind the scenes. But I mean, look, I I get where those questions are coming from, but I'm really not all that worried about it because number one, again, we have seen us do it in the past. I think these receivers, AD and Ladd especially, are going to be are better this year. I think Marcus Rosemey Jackson is a guy that can also give us some of that if we give the guy opportunities. And even though we haven't taken a lot of vertical shots down the field this year, when we have those opportunities have been there. Receivers have gotten open behind defenses. At times, Stetson's put it on the money. At times, maybe an underthrew or overthrew it. So, like, against Sanford, right? Jackson Meeks in the first quarter of that game, I think the first drive, was open. Wide open for a touchdown down the field. And Stetson kind of just missed that one a little bit there. We had the the one for Ladd down the seam against South Carolina where he had a step on the defender. That was a touchdown pass. But they interfered with him. They just they realized what was happening. They just basically tackled Ladd. And that ball wasn't completed. But we got the 15-yard pass interference penalty. So, that... Show me right there. We can do what we want to. Ladd was wide open again on Saturday against Kent State. Ladd just happened to do something very uncharacteristic of Ladd, and he dropped the football. But Stetson put it on the money, actually twice, the first drive of the game, and then was that the second quarter before he kind of got benched and put on ice for the rest of the of the first half. There's two balls right there that Stetson put on the money, and Ladd just dropped it. So when we need to, I do have confidence that we're going to be able to do it because, again, A, I've seen us do it in the past. The same players have done it in the past. Why can't they do it now? And B, we've had opportunities, and for one reason or another, we haven't necessarily hit on those. But guys have gotten open. Stetson's put on the money, and eventually we're going to start connecting on those balls. So I know that there is a lot of consternation about that in certain segments of the fan base. And I'm not saying you're crazy. I get where you're coming from. But personally, if you're asking me, I'm not altogether concerned about it right now. Okay, well, Tyler, I know you're always worried about players getting in trouble off the field. So I know I you am. weren't thrilled to see that the starting star, Javon Bullard, was arrested late Saturday night, early Sunday morning on seven so missing charges. So dumb. So dumb. 
We probably won't know until the game kicks off in Columbia um, and the defense trots out there on the field because Kirby isn't going to voluntarily give voluntarily give away any information that's going to help the opposing no, team, he's, obviously. He's secret scroll stuff. But it's likely he will at least miss this week's game. Um, and I just saw, you know, the initial report said that he blew like a .01 or something. Yeah, like it was that. like 25% the legal limit. Like right. he wasn't even close to drunk. He is underage. Which okay. that's, yeah. I just saw that the n- latest report is that it was... .14. High. Yeah. Yeah, should not well, so be what's, behind the legal the limit is what point oh eight point oh eight. So yeah. one, you did you read be the drinking. report? Did you read the report? I did not read it, but you shouldn't be drinking if you're underage, yeah. and you definitely shouldn't be driving. Yeah, especially yeah. if you've been drinking that much. Like, there's yeah. no excuse. Get an Uber. Get a friend. Don't do that because you're gonna hurt somebody. Especially the age of Uber. Like, what do we do? Can we just get like a nil deal with Uber for the entire team? Can well, we, I mean, can we do that? Think that the athletic department has a number or an account for them to use. Shuttle service, man. Like, come on. It's, yeah. So, anyways, Eric wants to know who's starting at Star this week. Yeah, great questions. I did see all this, Charlie. And, you know, my reaction actually was, it was Curtis who texted me, uh, yeah, yesterday on Sunday. We're recording this on Monday right now. And he was the one that broke the news to me. I hadn't seen it yet. I was actually working on the recap episode and going back and watching, rewatching the game. And so I had not seen it yet. And then I looked at it, and the curse was like, oh my God, this is four-game suspension. And I looked at the details, and I was like, but dude, it was like a .02 like, that he blew. Like, that's not, like he's not even remotely intoxicated. Yeah, I know he's underage, and that's a misdemeanor, but these are all misdemeanor charges. So like, maybe he misses a game, but there's no way he's going to miss four games for DUI or something like that. Now, in the Mark Rick years, like, that was always the, you know what would happen. is like anything remotely close, we'd like overly punish ourselves like we'd fall on our own sword Kirby has changed things to a degree but we still have university policies and Kirby's still going to discipline these guys in certain ways but once I saw today that no actually upon further review it's like a point one or yeah point one four it's like oh wow he was like really really drunk and then you read the report and I'm not going to recount all of it here on the on the podcast but you guys can look it up and, and and find it it was not a good look for him but here's the thing. Javon Bullard's a guy that I've always heard great things about. I know Kirby loves him. I know the staff loves him. He's a hard worker. From all accounts, everything I've ever heard about him is that he is a really good kid. You know what? Good kids make mistakes sometimes. And, so, and sometimes those are dumb mistakes. And yes, this is a really, really dumb mistake. But you know what? I've made dumb mistakes. Charlie, I think maybe you've made a dumb mistake at some point in your life. Maybe. Possibly. Yes. Okay. Like, yeah. Well, at some point, we all do dumb things. And this is a young kid. He did a really dumb thing. Now, I don't like that it hurt his team and put, put his team in a bad spot. I wish that didn't happen. But the fact is that it did. I don't know if it's a four-game. I don't, like, under Mark Reed, this would have been a four-game suspension automatically. I can see that, though. Because there's I'm no not, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying so it they, won't be. People I just don't know. Like, DUIs are unacceptable. Yes. Like, there are some things that you're, you're young and dumb. And like, okay, fine. Like, that's just what kids do. Kids can be idiots sometimes. But this like, is not this getting, is not an okay This thing. is not getting caught with weed. Yeah, this is not. Like, if you're smoking weed, I don't freaking care. Like, I'm not, regardless of what your opinion on marijuana is, like, if a kid's smoking weed, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't hurt anyone as long as he's not behind the wheel. That's fine. I do not care. Smoke all the weeds you want to. But getting behind the wheel when you're that intoxicated, especially if you read their poor and... Whew, man, like, no, not okay. So I think Kirby is going to respond to this pretty harshly. Is it going to be a four-game suspension like it would have been under Mark Rick? I can't speak to that. I don't know. We're not going to know, guys, until we get out there in those games. Like, you're right, Charlie. We're not going to know. Kirby's not going to say, yeah, he's out for four games. That's just not what Kirby Smart is going to do. So we're just going to have to find out. I don't know. I'm going to try to ask her out, but usually when it comes to these kind of things, like, no one's going to go on record with me on this. I'll see what I can find, but we'll, we'll find out. I don't know, but... I, I do feel confident saying, Charlie, that he's not going to play this week, right? Can we at least say that? Yeah. I, I don't see any way. Maybe I'm wrong. And maybe there's more details. But the report I read from the UGA Police Department does not bode well for him playing this week. So, Eric, it's a great question. And by the way, guys, Eric does a great job with this Taylor report. So, if you have not been reading that each week, make sure you do that. He does a great job. Really good, insightful stuff on the Georgia Bulldogs football program. So, make sure you check that out. But good question, Eric. Very simple question to the point, but I love it, man. So, who starts at Star? Well, I don't think it's going to be Javon Bullard. Here's where things get kind of iffy, Charlie. William Poole. Uh, what did we just talk about last week with William Poole? He's gone. He's gone. He's no longer with the team. Now, God, Charlie, what if he just went away one more week? Honestly, though, he probably still wouldn't be starting because that's why he left. He wasn't just behind Javon Bullard. He's also behind Tyke Smith, who is now working himself back from his ACL injury from last year. 
And so that's who it's going to be, guys. It's going to be Tyke Smith who's going to start the game. He's been working with the twos there. He's been the second guy going, and he's been getting some reps there behind Javon Buller. So it's 100% going to be Tyke Smith. Now, we were all really high on Tyke coming in from West Virginia last year, you know, a third-team All-American coming in. And we had really high hopes for this guy. He hurts his foot and preaches in practice. And as soon as he comes back, he almost immediately tears his ACL. So we really did not get to see any of Tyke Smith. He was cross-training at safety some, playing some Star Force in fall camp. And kind of a guy that can do both, kind of cross-train there. But he's going to be the guy at Star. Um, I'm, I feel good about that. He's a guy who's played a lot of football. My only concern and question here is, where is he from a health standpoint? Obviously, he's cleared and ready to play, but is he the same version of Tyke Smith that he was pre-injury? That remains to be seen. I don't know. I have my doubts, but I don't know. I, I hope that he's ready to play at a high level because he can play at a high level. We've seen him do that in the past. But I think it's going to be Tyke Smith. Now, where it gets really concerning is what happens if Tyke Smith gets hurt? Because it's nice to, nice to have that Tyke Smith security blanket if Javon Bullard gets hurt or he, or he gets suspended, which is what we have right now. That's great. It's awesome. Well, what happens if your backup goes down and the guy that was backing up him has left the team? Now you're in a little bit of trouble. Now we have some really talented players that, that can play in the back end. We had a really great freshman class coming in that were all cornerbacks. And maybe some of those guys, maybe a guy like Dalen Ever gets a look at Star because he's more of a, he's a bigger, more physical body than a guy like James Singletary or Julio Humphrey. I think the guy you might watch for a little bit here is Malachi Starks. Because Charlie, he's a guy that has shown he, can, he has great cover skills. He's a bigger, more physical body as well, playing the safety position. I think that he could maybe slide in and play some of that star position. Now, the, my only concern there is we're talking about a true freshman. We're not talking about a guy like like Chris Smith, who's been around for a long time and knows the defense inside and out. Right now, I mean, we're just lucky that Malachi Starks understands his own position at safety well enough to be able to go out there and play and start every single game. Is he ready to take on another position? I'm sure, I know that we cross-train all these guys. I'm sure he got some looks there at star during fall camp, but I mean, that that's concerning if you had to put a guy that's a true freshman who's still trying to learn his position, now playing another position, but he's a body that could fit that spot. We also have the luxury of Dan Jackson sliding in at safety, and um, look, I just, I, I know people say, well, what about Dan at star? I don't, I don't see Dan as that guy. He has the physicality to do it. I don't know if I like his cover skills against slot receivers, some of those shiftier, smaller slot receivers that he'd be facing at that position. I don't know if I like that matchup. Actually, I know I do not like that matchup at all. Malachi, I think, can at least hold his own there. So I think you might see him slide in there and get some looks, but let's just hope to God, knock on wood, that Tyke can stay healthy because I don't really like any of our options right now if something happens to Tyke. And Charlie, is it cool with you if we do one more quick break here before we wrap things up? Absolutely. All right, Charlie, Alumni Hall. What great people at Alumni Hall. These guys never let me down. I was in there, yes, I know I say this often, but it's true. I was in there yet again this past week, and they finally had these like Nike sweatshirts. I don't know exactly what to call it, a crew neck sweatshirt. I'm usually a hoodie guy, Charlie, but I saw these online, and I was like, I got to go check these out in person. And I went in there, and I was like, oh, yeah, like this is legit. This is exactly what I'm looking for. I had to pick myself up one. Like, for some reason, Nike doesn't like to make a ton of like actual black stuff anymore. It's all heathered black or like charcoal or whatever. This is actually a black, straight up, 100% black crew neck sweatshirt that I think is really sharp looking. I picked myself up one. And they just have so many different things, guys. Whatever you want, whether it's Nike stuff, Nike Golf, Cutter and Buck, Peter Millar, Johnny O, Columbia, it doesn't matter. Southern Tide, they got a lot of Southern Tide stuff now. They have anything and everything that you guys could want. I know I had a couple people over the weekend that were here in town for the game and uh, hit me up and, and showed me some of the goods that they got for themselves at Alumni Hall. So make sure to help yourself out too, guys. If you're looking for Georgia gear, Georgia accessories for you, family members, whoever it might be, Alumni Hall has got you covered because it is where the Bulldogs shop. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. 
Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, well, we already discussed A.D. Mitchell, but he isn't the only big-time Bulldog player that has missed considerable time as defensive lineman Jalen Carter has basically been out with a minor injury the past two weeks. He has played some situationally, but he hasn't really been a factor. Darren asks, how much better does the team get with a healthy Mitchell and Carter? Seems like those two position groups really need the most help. Yeah, I mean, Darren's a good question. I mean, significantly better would be my answer. I mean, A.D. Mitchell is our best receiver. I love Lad McConkey. I think A.D.'s a, a little bit better right now. I think he's a guy that can go up and win some of those 50-50 balls more consistently with the size and length that he brings to the table. I, I think A.D. is a guy that could end up being a, a superstar for us at wide receiver if he gets enough opportunities. And he hasn't been on the field since the very first snap against Sanford. So I think that does factor in things a little bit. And it's not that that Ladd can't do good things for us. Ladd has been really productive in his absence. Even, even in the Kent State game, like his final numbers were good. He just could have put up even better numbers. The problem is, is like we got to, everybody moves up the depth chart spot. And I, I keep saying that I, I believe in Marcus Rosemead Jackson. I do. But the fact is he hasn't really shown that consistently. I think he's got the body to do it. I think he's got the physical tools to be able to do it. But he hasn't done it consistently at this level. AD has done it more consistently. You have a guy like Dylan Bells, another guy that our coaches are really high on. I'm high on. I think he can be a really good player for us. He's still very new. This guy wasn't even here for, for spring practice. He got here in fall camp. And that's to tell you how highly our coaches think of him, that he was able to work himself into now with AD out, a starting position, even though he wasn't here for spring practice, been here for a couple of months at this point. But guys like him, guys like Denyland Morissette, those guys are now seeing, they're being pressed into duty earlier and more significantly than we thought they would be. So that that hurts you a little bit there. Now, maybe it helps us in the long run because those guys get up to speed, they get more experience, they, and they grow, they improve, they get the reps they need in actual game settings. So maybe down the road, that actually will prove to be beneficial to us. But yeah, I mean, we get significantly better receiver with AD Mitchell, and obviously on the defensive line, like we don't have Jay, we don't have Jordan Davis like we had last year. I've been telling you guys that all offseason. Like we don't have that kind of body on our roster. Period. Devontae White is now in the NFL. Trayvon Walker is in the NFL. We have some good players. We don't have a the quantity of those kind of guys that we did last year. We just don't. Not enough guys that are ready to be that, those kind of guys and play at that level right now. The one guy that we truly do have that's ready to be that kind of player is Jalen Carter. So when he's not in the lineup, that does hurt us from a run-stopping standpoint, from an interior pass rush standpoint, from just a pure plain disruption and havoc standpoint, that hurts us. He is the most disruptive playmaker that we have on the entire defense. If he's not in there, that certainly takes something away from us because we don't have other guys that we can rely on. Like if we had, let's say if Jalen got hurt last year, like that sucks. You, you want to have Jalen Carter, but you still have Jordan Davis. You still have Devontae Wyatt. You still have Trayvon Walker. You still have all these guys that can be disruptive and put the offense behind the chains outside of Jalen Carter. We don't have a ton of those guys right now. I think Michael Williams can can grow into that and has done that at times this year, but he's not ready to play the level that Trayvon Walker did last year or at the, or at the level, I know it's a different position, but the level of Devontae Wyatt from last year, like he's not ready to make that kind of an impact. At least he hasn't shown that yet. He's shown flashes, but not the consistency. Jalen Carter's the rock. He's the guy that we know can do those things. So when he's not in the lineup, that certainly takes away from what we're able to do along the defensive line. And we've gotten away with it against South Carolina because they are just not good. We've got away with it against Kent State because they can't match up physically with us. But in the future, against better teams, we might not be able to get away with it. So we need to get Jalen Carter back healthy. And it looks like, like you said, Charlie, very minor injury because he has been playing situationally on third downs. But we need this guy back full speed or as close to full speed as we can get as soon as humanly possible. Okay, now this next question comes from Richmond. But you cannot include Jalen Carter in your answer. And what is the question? So, through the first three games, who do you think has been the best offensive lineman and the best defensive lineman? I can't go Jalen Carter on the defensive line. Cannot use Jalen Carter. Well, that makes it tougher, Charlie, because that's the obvious answer. All right, defensive line? Man, uh, can we include Michael Williams at the five tackle on defensive line? Technically, it's defensive line. The only requirement is that you don't have Jalen Right, Carter. but I'm just like, can, do we count the five-phase defensive line? I'm going to go yes. So I'm going to say Michael Williams, which is crazy, a true freshman. But 
He's been the most consistently disruptive player outside of Jalen Carter along the defensive line. I think Warren Brinson's been pretty disruptive when given chances on the interior, but we've I know we know that Mike Hill had the one sack against Sanford, a couple more opportunities the past couple games, one more opportunity in that game, I think he had an opportunity against South Carolina they did not convert on, but he's been consistently disruptive. He's very advanced and very polished for a guy at this stage in his career, at, at this young age. So I'd probably go Michael Williams with a with honorable mention to Nas Stackhouse. Nas has not been like dominant by any means. He's kind of trying to fill that Jordan Davis role more often than not, but he has been very solid for us there in the middle of that defense. He's been a, he's been a rock for us. He's not crazy, insanely disruptive. He's not the athlete and he's anything like like Jordan Davis was obviously, but he has been surprisingly solid for us so far this season. I hope that continues. I hope he actually continues to improve the rest of the way. But so I would go honorable mention to Nas but I would go Michael Williams on the defensive line. Offensive line, I think it's pretty clear. I'm going to go Broderick Jones here. Broderick Jones is the best offensive line on the team right now. He's playing at a really high level. He's athletic. He's finally gotten his strength back to where it needs to be after that injury as a true freshman. It took him a while to actually be able to kind of work out the way he needed to, but that's not a problem for him anymore. This guy is a first-round draft pick. Uh, Charlie Curtis and I were talking about this in the preseason, and we were looking at like one of the questions we got in the mailbag I don't know, a couple months ago was, you know, could Georgia possibly have more first-round draft picks in this next NFL draft than we even did last year when we had five? And so we were trying to count up, okay, who could possibly be a first-round draft pick? And one of the guys that we thought about and we, we talked about was Broderick Jones. And both of us said, like, he has the tools and the profile to be able to do that. We just need to see it. We haven't seen it yet at the college level. We've seen flashes of it, but we need to see that consistency. So we were open to it. We just weren't ready to go there quite yet. I am ready to go there now based off what I've seen through the first third of this season. Roger Jones is the first-round NFL draft pick, and uh, I'm very confident in saying that this guy has got the tools, he's got the footwork, he's got the athleticism, he's got the strength, he's got the ability to bend, all those things that you look for in an offensive tackle, and a left tackle, and a blindside guy. So I, I'd definitely go Roger Jones at this point in the season. Okay, well, the offensive line is also the topic of our next question. Uh, Jamie asks, is Tate Ratledge getting beat more than he should? Yeah, Curtis and I kind of touched on this a little bit in the recap episode. But yeah, just to go a little bit more in detail here, yes. And I, I, I mentioned this maybe after week two, I think after the Sanford game. Tate Ratledge, I still believe, is a very good offensive lineman. I have questions about whether Tate Ratledge is fully healthy. I really, I, again, I, I mentioned that earlier today. I, I just don't know if he's fully back from the injuries. I don't know if he's fully back in shape because he just is not moving around that well. He's flailing around. He's having a hard time getting, even like getting his head across. I know some of these blocks can be tough when you got it when you're going to the line of scrimmage. You get your head across a guy that might be a, a gap away from you. That can be tough, but elite offensive linemen can do those kind of things. And he's struggling with that right now. He's struggling to get to the second level. He's struggling to get off combo blocks and rub up to that next level. And that's hurting us. Some of the reasons, one of the reasons, it's not the only reason, but one of the reasons we're not seeing more explosive runs right now on the ground is that we are having trouble, especially at the interior guard positions. And this is both Tate Ratledge and Xavier Trust. We're having trouble consistently getting to the second level. And then once we get there, actually doing something, actually blocking someone. I've seen this a couple times from Warren McClendon as well. We've got to do a better job of that because if we don't clean up the second level, we're not going to hit those chunk runs that we are used to seeing, that we all want to see. So I do have some questions there. I think Tate Ratledge is, is a really good player. I think that when he's healthy... He's strong, he's physical, he's nasty, he can get movement to the point of attack, he's got good technique, all those things. I don't really question the technique as much, I just question the footwork right now and just where he is from, from a mobility standpoint. So I am concerned. There were a couple of times, like there's also too many times where he's allowing, and I think this is a function of him just not really playing competitive football. Practice is one thing, but playing in a game I think some of it is a function of him not doing that for a full year. Because you go back to the Oregon game, and there's been it's not the only isolated case. There's been a couple times throughout the rest of the year where he's just getting rocked, like literally knocked off his feet and falling backwards on his butt by demons of linemen because he's allowing them to punch him before he punches them. It's a very simple fix, guys. You get your hands on them before they get their hands on you. That is offensive lineman 101. Like that is just very, very simple stuff. And those are kind of things that I've... I feel confident he understands. He's just got to do a better job of that. And I do think a big part of that is the fact that he just hasn't played a lot of football in the past calendar year. And I'm very hopeful, as I said earlier, as the season progresses and he gets more and more reps and some of the rust wears off, that he can get back to what he was 
you know, coming into last year, which, you know, I was told point blank that he was the best offensive line on the team coming into the season. And obviously went down early in that game against Clemson and we did not get to see that. But right now, I'm not seeing the best offensive lineman on our team. So I still believe in him. So I think he's a good player, but he's not performing at that level right now. And that's why I do think Devin Willick should probably get some more looks just to see what he can give us there at the guard position. Okay, well, and per usual, we're going to close things out today with more of a fun question. This week, Dalton asks, is he the only one who misses the dog bones on the helmets? He really likes them as an extra way to recognize great play from the players. Great play from the players. Your boy, Mark uh, Rick. That's one, of, yes. that's, that's one of his things. I miss them, if you're asking my opinion. You know, Kirby is about as old school as it gets with these kind of things. And I understand why he doesn't like them. I, I, I get it. And, you know, you want to come in and you put your own stamp on the program because the dog bones were a Mark Rick thing. And you kind of want to watch the program and some of those things and kind of just, like, build your own culture. I get it. I understand it. But, like, Charlie, my question would be, what harm does it do to have the dog bones on the helmet? Like, who does that hurt? Like, and even, like, we can take this to black jerseys. Who in the hell do black jerseys actually hurt? Now, I know some people say, well, there are certain jerseys that you just never mess with okay, no one's messing with the jersey. We're just saying like once a year, do something a little different for people who are into that kind of thing. You might not be into it, and that's okay, but some people are. Like, let's just, it's okay to switch things up every now and then. And, I mean, Charlie, like dog bones on the back of the helmet, does that really detract from the tradition of the Georgia Bulldog uniform? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. And I, and I think you're exactly right, Dalton. I think it does give some incentives for the players. And like, we would not be the only team in the country that does it. And I know we shouldn't do something just so somebody else does it. I get that. But I think it's a cool look. I also like, you know, being able to honor the, the academic accomplishments, like the black dog bones are always for academics. I think it's a good way to kind of send positive messages to your team. I have no issue with it whatsoever. Like, it's not something that I really think about ever, and it doesn't like keep me up at night. Like, I mean, it doesn't frustrate me, frustrate me the way that like not wearing black jerseys once a year or wearing, wearing red pants occasionally on the road or something like that or wearing the icy whites, which I know is all the rage right now. It doesn't, and th- th- even that doesn't really bother me. I think it's like foolish and kind of annoying. Like why, why don't we do those things? But this is one of those things that doesn't even register like, on that level. Like, it's not something I ever really think about. But now that you bring it up, Dalton, like, I don't see what it hurts. Honestly, it, and if the players be into it, if you think it's something that we could use to kind of motivate our players, why not do it? But, I, I mean, at this point, it's not going to happen. But I'm with you, man. Like, I, I would not hate to see those brought back whatsoever. But, all right, guys. That does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. We are certainly not done with our content for the week. I will be back here on Thursday with our, actually, late Wednesday, early Thursday, with our game preview of this upcoming game against the Missouri Tigers in Columbia, Missouri. And then Charlie and I will be back for our bounce back week, our bounce back picks of the week episode where we promise you, Charlie, can we say that? Can we go ahead and promise that we will get back on our winning ways this week? Are you ready to go that far? A guarantee, a guarantee. Charlie, can you do it? I promise or guarantee anything. I never promise. Well, there's no guarantees in betting, so maybe we shouldn't guarantee that. I'm gonna do my best. We're gonna be better this week. Hey hey guys, three out of four weeks, we have given you like 67% winners. Last week wasn't that, but you know, it's it's sports betting. Things happen. We'll, We'll get back to the winning ways this week. So a lot of great stuff for you guys the rest of the way. But thank you for being here, guys. Always, always appreciate that. But for Charlie, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.